0: Summer's almost here. Yay, right? So when's the last time you tried on your swimsuits and summer clothes? If you could get back into summer shape in one visit, would you do it? Here's Dr. Brian Strand for Sonobello to explain.
1: It really is quite remarkable. Sonobello doctors use a technology called micro laser fat removal, and the results are amazing. We customize your procedure to accomplish your goals. Just share with us the problem areas where you'd like the fat in inches removed. And in one visit, they're gone. Permanently. I can't tell you how often I hear clients say how many years they've been trying to diet and exercise those inches away. And we did it in one comfortable
2: visit.
0: It's time to get your summer on. Visit any of our Sonabella locations across the U.S. And right now, you can save $250. Visit SonoBello.com slash save. SonoBello.com slash save. That's SonoBello.com slash save. Searching for just the right job? Whether you're looking for full-time, part-time, or seasonal work, you can get started today. Amazon Jobs offers the whole package with great pay and flexible shifts that allow you to choose when and how much you work. Find a warehouse close to home and discover the role that works for you. To get your application started for an hourly job, go to Amazon.com apply. That's Amazon.com apply. Amazon is proud to be an equal opportunity employer.
2: But I want to go home Mm -hmm. Maybe surrounded by a million people I still feel all alone Just want to go home Oh, I miss you, you know And I've been keeping all the letters That I wrote to you each one line, too. I'm fine, baby, how are you? Welcome back to The X-One,
1: everyone. My name is Rob McConnell. My special guest this hour is Greg Myers. Uh, Greg is with uh, Paranormal uh, Missouri Paranormal Research. And Hey, Greg, how are you doing?
3: Hey, Rob, my friend. How are you doing?
2: They're doing pretty
1: good. What's new, thrilling, and exciting uh, besides this uh, documentary entitled Children of the Grave? Tell us about it.
3: Children of the Grave is a Booth Brothers on Twin Talk production. They're the same ones that did Spooks in the Waverly Hills Sanitarium last year. Um, It's basically a horror documentary. Its focus is on children, ghosts, um, i.e. orphanages, um, children's tragic deaths, and the remnants of what's left behind from those. And it's out on... So it should be showing on Sci-Fi, I think, in the early spring of next year.
1: Wow! Tell us, um, how did you get involved in it? Uh, can you share with us a few of the uh, cases that you worked on?
3: And actually, it was interesting. We just got contacted out of the blue. They saw some of our cases and mm-hmm. some of our evidence on the on our website, and a couple of the cases that they did with us on the major segments. Um, One was the Pithian Castle down in Springfield, Missouri, which um, was built by the Knights of Pithias and was a children's orphanage when it was first built and Mm -hmm. then was later used to house World War II prisoners um, that they would actually bring in like higher-ranking officers for interrogation, the Germans, the Italians, also the Japanese. And then later it became a medical facility then was left abandoned and then... um, the current owner, team in from California, bought it and renovated it, and it's bringing some culture and arts into it, along with you know the paranormal, which exists there. And that's one the one of the first places we filmed at. The second place is our urban legend area here near my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri, um, called Zombie Road, which has a wealth of tragedy that stems back several decades.
1: Help me! Uh, is the is the interest in the paranormal still growing, Greg?
3: Yeah, it seems this year it's even higher than last year. There's more shows on television, yeah. more documentaries being done that are showing on television and cable networks, and satellite, as, as well as um, there's more documentaries coming out that aren't being shown, but being sold on the internet. So it's, a, it's quite like um, a ghost renaissance. There's yeah.
1: You know, here we are uh, two days before Halloween, and um, do you find more and more people share the interest in ghosts as we get closer to Halloween? And then, do you notice a a de- decrease in the uh, the attention of ghosts? Well,
3: that's that's somewhat true. It doesn't decrease as much as it used to during the off, um, I guess, Halloween season or the fall season, but building up into the fall season there. We get a lot of emails just for people sharing stories, asking questions, wanting our stories, as well as investigations. It seems activity, or the nose of activity, also heightens during this time frame.
1: What's your favorite ghost story?
3: Oh, that's a a rough one. Mm, I guess the Bell Witch of Tennessee, you know, is a good one since that is possibly the first documented case uh, where. The other side or the paranormal actually resulted in the death of a human. That was All
1: right, why don't we talk about this on the other side of the uh, commercial break that we have to take, Greg? Greg uh, Myers is our very special guest. Uh, www.paranormaltaskforce.com is uh, their website, or you can always uh, visit the MPR on MySpace, www.myspace.com forward slash catch my ghost. And if you'd like to find out more about Children of the Grave, visit their website at www.childrenofthegrave.com. 1-877-528-8255 is our toll-free number. And when we come back from this two-minute break, Greg Myers will be sharing his favorite ghost story with us as we continue live and around the world on the Talk Star Radio Network. Don't go away. Another Greg Myers is our very special guest, www.paranormaltaskforce.com, and if you'd like to get more information on the Spook Productions horror documentary, Children of the Grave, their website is www.childrenofthegrave.com. All right, Greg, what is your favorite story?
3: Uh, the favorite story would be the Witch story, uh, which is from Tennessee. That was um, the one that
1: Greg, you're going to have to speak up. I'm having a heck of a time trying to hear you here.
3: Oh, okay. You can you hear me better, Rob? Much better. Thank you. Okay. No, I was just saying it's The Bell Witch, um, the Tennessee story, the one that the American Haunting movie last year was based mm-hmm. on, it's probably one of my favorite stories because it actually resulted in what people believe, the actual death of a human in that case that the spirit caused.
1: Now, is this the first uh, first case where a human was actually killed by a spirit?
3: The first doctor.
1: Wow. Now, d- throughout your years investigating the paranormal, Greg, has there been one case that you've worked on that that ha- that sticks out in your mind as the case that has more evidence pertaining to the paranormal than all the other cases combined?
3: Um, in my personal investigation, that would stem back to the Tri County restaurant case.
1: I remember you playing us clips on that.
3: Yeah, that was the one we discussed a while back. Yeah,
1: that that was that was freaky.
3: We haven't encountered really anything that would top evidence on that yet. The zombie road would be close, especially now with the movie. Mm-hmm. And his brother, 68, with a thousand, had some of these Ghost Society. And they brought in some thermal imagers and some other high-tech equipment. Mm-hmm. And they, they I cash for uh, captures down there as well. That stacking up also in the capture department, so it would maybe be a toss-up between the
1: two at this time. Greg, when you when you're when you go out with uh with Steve and you do your investigations, um, do you do you each take separate roles? For example, do you um, do you decide? All right, Steve, I'm going to take the EVPs this time. You take the videos, uh, or do you do you delegate with your team who's going to do what, when, where, and why?
3: Yes, we do. Actually, there's been a little change in the team. Um, Stephen Lachance, um he separated from the team. Oh, he um, did? Yes, he did. Oh, it's... He's on his own now. He's a producer um, with a radio show locally, which has eaten up a lot of time. And mm-hmm. he's trying to author some books and other projects. But he's still doing private consultation in extreme cases.
1: I oh, will give him my best, will you?
3: I will. If anybody looks for him, though, and I you know some people listening here probably are, he's at WWW, even a... E-N-A with chance.com. or if they come to our website I have a click through on the front that goes to site also mm-hmm. but the, the team structure we're still set up the same way everybody has their independent jobs we have our EVP specialists um, we have people who assist with the other equipment like the EMS meters um, the temperature readings and doing base you know, work like that and then we also have our photographers we utilize sensitive investigators as well so we utilize almost any resource that we could toss in there I and mean, it depends on the honey on how we structure the resources going in. And that's going through a long extensive interview process with the client, a questionnaire, and we could actually assess and, you know, do some diagnostics on the problem even before stepping in.
1: Is there any new equipment that has come out recently that Helps you and other investigators uh, with the paranormal. As
3: far as new equipment, I can't really think of anything off the top of my head except possibly the new DVR systems, where you can hook up four to eight cameras to. Mm-hmm. And you have a hard drive component, so you could operate, you know, that many night shot cameras on one hard drive and let them run for hours. And those help a lot, except you need a lot more technicians, uh, technicians, and post-analysis people, you know, to go through and all that evidence because you're gathering a lot more but that eliminates the individual setups like in the old days of the camcorders and everything else mm-hmm. in so on my end that's become a very very you know, big thing with utilizing those, it's making the job a lot easier in a lot of ways on set up at the site
1: Alright, now I know that you talked to other paranormal groups out there and has anyone finally caught that all conclusive photo that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that spirits do exist.
3: In my opinion there probably are some out there that have captured such photos but with the amount of skepticism and criticism out there and with us being considered a parascience you know to the scientific community Mm -hmm. um, there is no cohesion in that department where everyone works together. So a lot of times such captures go wayside and, and they, you know, get criticized with unintelligent responses more than not. And you know that. We've been victims of that ourselves. Yeah.
1: But um, I, I, I thought that someone or some organization was opening up a database that was going to be accessible to all paranormal groups and that... This would be a place where all the data would be put and analyzed. That that hasn't happened, I would imagine.
3: Not that I've seen yet. There's been talk of it. There's been like little conferences and get-togethers and meetings between different groups. Uh-huh. I personally haven't partaken in those or or haven't been invited to them yet. But the problem within the paranormal field, and you see that with any side. It doesn't matter if it's the U.S. you know, allergy side or the cryptozoology or our side. Right. That there's a lot of infighting and non-unification you know, within, within the field itself and that creates a big problem where many times we become our own worst enemies and yeah. I hate to see that because we we, that's a good idea is to get together, have a centralized type thing mm-hmm. where the scientific community can step in help us analyze and, and put more credibility to what we do
1: you know you'd think by now that all this infighting would be over that people would be working together. Mind you, they're still in fighting in the UFO field when it comes to Sasquatch and other aspects of the paranormal. Why can't people just get along and share the information?
3: I think it's just human nature. You have a lot of different reasons people are in, in these fields, and I think that plays a big role in, in it. You know, you have ones out there probably for the variety of reasons, and there is some profit level that I haven't seen that level, but... You know there are some, you know, out in the circus that have been problems with mm-hmm. certain things, and it also territorial. But it would be nice if everybody, you know, could put, you know, all their hate aside and, and work together, and you know, I'm sure we would come out with some very positive results of that.
1: I understand I'm that the that the uh, paranormal investigations and uh, the UFO investigations in the Soviet Union, in, in Russia, work very close together the different organizations and they share the information. And that's that's what
3: I I probe in those areas a little bit because I would like to expand, you know, mm-hmm. our team, you know, outside of just the normal, you know, ghost type situations and UFOs and other things. But it does look that way that even in the Soviet Union and even parts of Europe that there's more of that centralized unification that we don't have here yet. It'd be nice to see that come here, and maybe some of the other sites here are making, you know, bigger strides than what the the paranormal slash, you know, ghost site is.
1: Right. What do you think it'll take to get all the different organizations to work together and share the information?
3: It's gonna take a lot of meetings, um, like you're trying to do, but I think it's going to be a hard thing. We're dealing in an age where there's a heightened euphoria for this. You could have a couple people sitting on a couch watching a TV show, and the next mm-hmm. day they have a MySpace up, calling themselves a ghost hunting team or a UFO investigative group, and they're out running around many times without experience, except from what they're seeing, you know, on TV, you know the media mm-hmm. side. So that's going to be a hard thing to weed through and get everyone unified. It's going to take probably the people who have the most experience in the field ones with, you know, a decade here, a decade there to get together and lay down the base platform. And then you know others hopefully will step up and follow.
1: My name's Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon on the Talk Star Radio Network. Um, this portion of the Exxon is being brought to you by our good friends at Premier Psychics. Isn't it incredible? And how great it feels when you finally connect with a psychic who authentically cares and has talent. Well, at Premier Psychics, that's exactly what you will find. Great talent, great people. Visit them today at www.premierpsychics.com. That's www.premierpsychics.com. Or you can uh, call them toll-free at 1-866-803-6593. That's 1-866-803-6593. Greg Myers is our special guest. And uh, Greg is with Paranormal Missouri, and uh, their website is www.paranormaltaskforce.com. One of our listeners would like to know how you approach a situation where there's a haunted belief to be taking place.
3: How to approach it? Are yes. they themselves in that situation,
1: or? Well, how would you? How would your organization approach a situation if they were? Let's say. Somebody called you, and they said, "Hi, uh, I, I think I've got a haunting going in my hu- in my house. Would you come down and visit?" How would you approach it? The first
3: process I would do is turn it over to one of our case managers and researchers. They would develop and send the questionnaire to them, and also conduct the in-person or on-phone interview. Mm-hmm. We would sit down collectively and assess the information there, and see if we need to fine-tune our detail what further interviews and witness interviews on you know certain aspects of. And once that's done, we would have to go in and try to rule out, of course, anything explainable. You have to rule, rule out all the explainable first to have the unexplainable left. And mm-hmm. an the on-site investigation is needed. And many times, that's only about 50% of the time where we actually have to send right. them in on-site. And we would go in and set up our equipment and combine like a passive and interactive approach. Within a night, or within a night, and so many follow ups, and we gather the evidence, go through it, and see what we have, and try to draw some objective you know, conclusions to it.
1: Paul, stand by. You and I have to take a commercial break. My name's Rob McConnell. This is The X And um, I'm sorry, not Paul. Greg Myers is our very special guest. And uh, Greg and I will be back on the other side of this commercial break as we continue live and around the world from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada.
0: The Department of Veterans Affairs is so innovative; it not only improves the lives of veterans, it transforms the lives of healthcare professionals who serve them with access to the latest technologies and remarkable benefits. Transform your future at VAcareers.va.gov.
4: Hurry in to Mattress Firm's July Fourth sale. Get a king bed for the price of a queen or a queen for a twin, and save up to $500 on Sealy. Plus, get a free adjustable base with qualifying Sealy purchase, up to a $499 value. Or shop Tempur-Pedic, the most highly recommended bed in America, and save $500 on all Tempur-Breeze mattresses, and get a $300 instant gift good towards sleep accessories, only at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store or mattressfirm.com for details.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Greg Myers is our very special guest. And uh, Greg is uh, a gentleman that we've had the pleasure of having on the show before. And Greg is the administrator for Paranormal Task Force. And, uh, Greg, how long have you been involved in the paranormal?
3: Uh, personally, I've had lifelong experiences since being a child. Um, in the field itself, it's only been a few years, actually. But we've had a lot of experience within a few years. It seems nonstop.
1: Mm-hmm. Greg, children, I believe, have more paranormal experiences than adults do. Um, But they don't know how to, they seem to deal with it with with an openness and honesty that adults don't uh, necessarily do. Why is it that children, at a certain time, click them off?
3: That's something that's not really understood. You know, I should cur- concur with that, that the children, they're very open in the beginning. They mm-hmm. they see things from the other side of the veil, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing probably about 9 to 12 years old, somewhere in that period, this click that switch goes off. And a lot of it might be a lot of times they open up to their parents, and, you know, when they're younger and their parents, you know, tell them things like, no, you don't, you don't see this. Right. Um, that's an imaginary friend, and it might force a psychological effect, which just causes that switch to go.
1: Hmm. How do you celebrate Halloween at your place?
3: I have little wee ones myself, so actually they go out trick-or-treating for Halloween, or we pass out candy from our house, we take turns, you know, different years. And now being involved with the paranormal, there's a lot of events, you know, we get invited to for that, or mm-hmm. maybe a thrown in the mixture.
1: Are there any cases that you're working on right now, Greg?
3: Oh yeah, we've got quite a few going on right now. Awesome. Actually it's kinda of, kind of interesting because we do a lot of private client cases, you know, of extreme situations. Right. But this year we've actually had an increase of like historical societies and historical places. And I'm starting to see that, you know, a lot of these historical societies they you know, a lot of these places do have paranormal activity there. And many times, you know, the old timers for years would say, you know, they want to leave it alone.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: They don't want to advocate that. But I think they're starting to see how open the public is becoming. You know, I think you have, what, one out of four people on a lot of these surveys now or even more who believe in ghosts. So it's becoming a viable thing to help re-energize their historical properties with tours and everything else. So that's become like our secondary type of client. It's also an important thing to help out and to get the youth involved with those historical places as as well. many, Many of these societies, people are, what, 60s and 70s on average, and they're not going to be around forever. So that's something I like, you know, to get people out there to be aware of. You know, if you get time, you want to volunteer time, try to help your local historical society or something.
1: That's one thing that ghost investigators and research organizations like yours does, is it keeps history alive. That's true. And I think that a lot of the... Has there ever been historical finds made by paranormal organizations?
3: Um, what would you mean by historical finds,
1: Rob? Alright, let's say the. Uh, that up until s- this point, history has depicted this um, this part of history as ABCD. But after... Research by organizations like yours, there's continuation of history that wasn't known up until that point.
3: Yeah, there are some cases when the paranormal groups get involved; they do go, you know, back further in research, or they find things in between that Mm -hmm.
2: might.
3: Sometimes the value of the sensitive or psychic side of the field, and we do utilize them within our group. They help us, you know, for the hot spots, like locations where the paranormal activity might exist. But also the ones that are more of mediums, actually, if they make contact, they could come back with some clues, and the research followed up on those as well um, pans out. And so there are other groups out there like ours that probably have done that, which has found different things, which the historical society has overlooked and never thought of.
1: Now, um, prior to going out on an investigation, do you research the property? Do you... Uh... Do you try to find as much as you can about it so that you're not doubling up your workload, so to speak? Oh, yeah.
3: We have a full research team and staff. We have a research coordinator, Mm -hmm. and that's all in part of the pre-investigative stage um, where they actually do extensive research within the courthouses, historical societies, libraries, and whatever they could pull from, old-timers, you know, witnesses around that live in the area. And we try to gather all the facts we can before going in. And many times that's a continued process it mm-hmm. continues throughout the investigation and many times afterwards. And interesting story on that that stems back to that Tri-County restaurant. I don't know, if this was last time we talked to you. Yes. up to this point. But you remember something down in the basement with girl things at us.
2: Um, yeah,
1: an, yeah, I remember that.
3: There was an incandescent light bulb one time and then actually a rusty butcher knife one time. And we kept researching and putting out feelers out there, and we actually had some old waitresses and workers that mm-hmm. are in their 60s that contacted us, and they were starting to tell us of a story of a man who used to live in the basement during that time. And his key thing is when the employees went down there, he would throw stuff at them. So it's kind of interesting how sometimes the research can answer some of your investigative questions as well in your experiences on site.
1: Now, when a, when a spirit quote-unquote throw something, is it done by telekine- uh, telekinesis or do they actually physically pick it up and toss it?
3: Well, it depends on how you look at it. There's some going both ways. I guess the telekinetic method could yeah. be one method and you have to remember, you know, a spirit is mainly energy, so they might be able to outreach their energy in a human farm. You know, people see full apparitions and they might be able to keep that energy together to, enough to actually pick up something and throw it. So I think either way would be very possible.
1: What are the do's and the don'ts when it comes to ghost hunting?
3: The do's and the don'ts. The biggest don't is never trespass. There's many new people they jump in the field, they go find cemeteries, abandoned buildings, they go trespassing into them into dangerous situations. Mm-hmm. Last year you probably remembered there as a teenager up in Ohio that was actually shot in the head to trespass. Yes. So that's my biggest do not. The biggest do would be always take a buddy with you. You never want to go out alone. You always want someone with you in case you run into a situation where you get hurt or someone there to help you. And then you go in, you know, I have to go through several other, you know, look, Smaller do's and don'ts, but those are probably the two biggest ones out there. And do not provoke. Always show respect um, for the unknown. A lot of times, if you provoke it, you don't know what's going to happen. And I've seen people, you know, hurt, you know, from the paranormal as well. Pushed down, you know, picked up and thrown in the walls, and the things thrown at them. Um, some people getting cuts on them, unexplainably. So I've been in situations where the paranormal has reached out and hurt those in attendance.
1: If somebody listening tonight is saying, geez, you know, I, I'd really like to get involved and become a, 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 a haunted researcher, uh, what advice would you have for them?
3: Best advice is maybe to find a local team before you try starting your own. Mm-hmm. Um, search out, do some research on the teams in your area, contact your leaders to see if they have some type of apprentice program or some type of like a tag along program where you could go along. And first, see if you like doing it. Many times, paranormal research and investigations for some people could be the most boring thing out there to do. And then, by going along with another team, they might find their special little area they want to focus in. Because I view like our team as almost like a business or corporation. Um, there's a lot of people out there who might just want to do research. Mm-hmm. They might just want to do post evidence analysis, or just work with audio. Our video, And it gives them the chance to see what different things are out there to do and what they might want to you know, become interested in and pursue further.
1: So there's always something to do in the world of the paranormal.
3: Oh, yeah. A lot of teams out there could even use help with, like, website designers mm-hmm. and everything else. There's, there's a multitude of things people could do.
1: Shannon, who's listening to us in Alaska, would like to know if you prefer analog tape recorders or digital tape recorders for EVP?
3: Ah, that's a good question because I just got back from the Chicago conference where I spoke at, and Brian Leffler, who you know as well from Minnesota, mm-hmm. he's called Mr. Analog. So we get into that debate quite frequently. I like utilizing both. I like having the analog and the digital aspects there at the same time. There's been things that have been good that we've captured on analog and there's been some things equally as good on digital so i think they both have a very important role in the field and especially with this video and other types of media where you don't have the consumables those are very good for your interviews um, and documenting other notes as well so that's a personal preference of who's out there in the field but i like both i won't pick one over the other
1: all right, how about uh, these voice-activated tape recorders? Are, do, are they any good, uh, and do they actually work when it comes to EVP?
3: I do not utilize voice activation. I learned that early on while trying to capture audio, you know, to analyze for EVP.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, voice activation, many times, the spirit of what you're trying to capture, is just a body voice from. It might take it a while to manifest its energy to get its message out. And in the process, it could take it that half second, three quarters of a second, to activate the recorder. And if its message is only a second to a second and a half, well, guess what? You lost half of it. So I do not use voice activation whatsoever, and that would be one recommendation I would give to anyone out there. You know, shut that off and go with a straight you know,
1: recording. All right, here's one that I'm sure you knew you were going to get some time tonight. This one is from Malcolm. Malcolm lives in Chambly, Quebec. And Malcolm would like to know if orbs are real.
3: That's a good one. And, yes, Malcolm, if you're listening, we get that one quite a bit. Orbs is one of the most controversial things out there. Um, In my opinion, 99.9% of photographic orbs that are captured are explainable from, you know, dust, whether it be Mm -hmm. dust, moisture, um, maybe flare back, you know, from the flash, or several other reasons. But sometimes you do have that percentage that will pan out and be authentic. It's hard to tell the difference between the two. A lot of it depends on the camera settings. You really have to get and analyze, And it also depends on the experiences that the individual had during the time that they captured such. You know, if they had temperature readings, um, going up or down, er- erratic EMF readings, mm-hmm. um, other human experiences that could be documented along with that picture, then it might be something more notable to not.
1: Sharon from uh, Dorval, Quebec, would like to know what your opinion of the movie White Noise was.
3: Uh, White Noise, I found a very interesting movie. Um, even though I do EVP, I'm not instrumental trans communications expert I would Mm -hmm. like to learn a little more about that field but I found it to be interesting for my understanding some of it was a little overplayed and exaggerated possibly than what the real stuff is but I've never worked with one of those people in the field yet and that would be probably one of my things on my list now to maybe get someone on our team who has experience in that part and add that as a resource you know for our end as well.
1: Is it possible for negative entities to come through like uh, was depicted in white noise?
3: I think, you know, it's possible that a negative entity could come through anything. Mm -hmm. I think it's not what the person is using because you have, you know, people out there, a Ouija board, bad, hero cards, bad, scrying mirrors, bad. I think it's more of the person's mind. If the person is trying to open something with their mind, that they fully don't understand how to open or how to contain or control that anything that step through what becomes open and come out. So I think that danger persists in anything, and I even get in arguments with, and I have written things with EVP as well, when you're trying to capture audio, doing it interactively, that possibly you could open those doorways if you don't contain your questions, the specifics. But at least that way, you're still not asking the spirit to come into you or something else to communicate. But there still are dangers, you know, all the way through that have to be noted and taken into consideration.
1: Are Ouija boards really bad?
3: I don't think the board... A Ouija board is a piece of plastic or a piece of, you know, board with the planchette. The board itself isn't bad, and that's, you know, I was getting at the first part here. Mm -hmm. But when you have someone holding on to the planchette or several people... In that case, you are inviting a possible entity to come inside your body to control you to move the planchette. And that's where that invitation is open. It's like, hey, I'm opening my door. Come on in and, you know, give me a message. And that's where the danger aspect comes. But you could do the same thing with a cup of water if you're trying to communicate with a spirit as well in the same aspect.
1: You mean people try to commun- communicate with spirit with a glass of water?
3: No, not necessarily. I was just Oh, I,
1: I see. You're just using that as an example. Right. All right, Greg, stand by. You and I have to take our final break for this hour. Greg Myers is our special guest. Uh, his website is www.paranormaltaskforce.com. And um, if you'd like to find out more about Children of the Grave, the website is www.childrenofthegrave.com. And Greg and I will be back on the other side of this commercial set as the Exxon continues live and around the world from the Talkstar Radio Network from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away.
0: presented commercial-free. Between movies, we bring you cartoons, soundies, previews, and classic TV. Check our schedule and actually watch online at www.whitesprings.tv. New from the people who brought you Talkstar Radio. Tell your friends there's a new kind of TV. Whitesprings.tv.
1: And welcome back, everyone. Greg Myers is our special guest, uh, www.paranormaltaskforce.com. First of all, Greg, thanks very much for joining us. It's always great having you with us here on the X-Zone.
3: Yeah, I want to thank you, too, Rob. It's been great. You're always a wonderful host of one of the best shows out there.
1: Thanks very much, buddy. Uh,
3: uh, and, too, Tom, email me, Tom Hall, said you had him on in the past. Our photographer, he sent his regards and said hi for you. Ah,
1: super, thanks. Um. Where's your next big investigation going to be?
3: Um, I don't know right now. We have a few Halloween ones.
1: Uh-huh, of course, halloween eh?
3: The, the location's still private for the radio station here.
1: Right. I can't
3: disclose that, but we do have a big ongoing one in Potosi, Missouri, of uh, several historic buildings. And that's going to be ongoing as well as another one, the Harney Mansion, out in Sullivan, Missouri, and along with our private cases. So we got quite a few going on still. I think we've done about 50 this year.
1: Holy cow like nonstop. Now, out of those 50, how many ghosts did you actually discover?
3: Um, actual ghost, ghosts are evidence that would be considered paranormal. Uh, probably mm, 15% or
1: less. 15%. Well, that's that's pretty good. That is pretty more, good.
3: That's what I mean. When you do more investigations, you're out there a lot more, so you get a chance to experience a lot mm-hmm.
1: more. Mark. Uh, uh, Mark. Was, I was reading somebody's email here. Mark from uh, Mississauga would like to know if you have ever been physically assaulted by a ghost.
3: Uh, yes, I have. Uh, that's where I've learned um, to be more devout in the faith, um, dealing with a very extreme haunting. Uh, about two and a half years ago, I did mm-hmm. have something that came back to my house, and besides terrorizing my wife and children. Um, few times it actually pushed me down as, as well in my own bedroom one
1: time wow
3: so that's where i learned to become devout in a faith no matter what it is that's what i'll suggest out there too for people no matter what you believe in become devout devout with it you know before you go out ghost hunting. and before here's you leave a site do your little prayer or ritual and tell the spirits they're not invited to, to go home with you sometimes that works as well
1: And here's the follow-up to that question. Have you ever seen, when you see a ghost, is it in three dimensions or is it translucent?
3: Um, The apparitions I have experienced with my own eyes. I saw a three-dimensional shadow person one time, um, which was like a a dense substance, Mm -hmm. um, which was darker. Not completely all black, but, you know, a dark gray to black. And another time I saw what would be a vapor separation in the daytime where it looked like the heat waves coming off the highway. Yeah. Both times those were more in a three-dimensional farm versus two.
1: Greg, we've got to say so long for now. Look forward to the next time when you meet us.